Amen, amen. Well, uh, our family had uh, spring break a week earlier than, than most of you guys did, so we were gone earlier this week and uh, had a good time. You, have you ever needed a vacation from your vacation? Yeah, that's kind of how we are right now. We're doing good, but we, uh, we, uh, we went to Universal Studios, and I have a pedometer on my phone, and we had, I took almost 70,000 steps. Um, in the two and a half days that we were there, so we were all over the place, but it was tons of fun. Wouldn't want it any other way. Really excited about this morning. We're starting a new series called me Legion, not religion, me Legion, where I am the focus. And we're going to be asking the question, is your faith all about you? Is your faith all about you? Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn you that for every single one of us, myself included, there are going to be times where, if we're honest, the answer to that question is yes. Yes. Sometimes my faith is all about me. And and let me just start, before we even get into it, let me just say that there's nothing wrong with asking God for something. There is nothing wrong with... with, um, with asking the Lord uh, for something in your life, okay? So it's not like we ever, we never attend to our own needs, but it's just that we don't only attend to our own needs, okay? There's a difference. There's a difference. So I want to kind of define for you a working definition here of what I mean when I say religion, okay? What I, what I mean. So what is religion? Religion is where a person's religion focuses only on themselves, and their spiritual disciplines cater only to their own needs. So their religion focuses only on themselves, and their spiritual disciplines cater only to their own needs. Now, what I mean by spiritual disciplines, your spiritual disciplines are the way that you practice your faith. Those are your spiritual disciplines. So we would say things like Bible study would be a spiritual discipline. Prayer would be a spiritual discipline. Going to church would be a spiritual discipline. These are things that we all do as an outward expression of our faith. We could even say serving at the food pantry is a spiritual discipline. It's something that we do to express our faith. The problem is we can do something that's good as like Bible study, but we can make it only about us. We could even work at a soup kitchen, something that's seemingly a selfless act, but our motivation could be to be seen by others. And in that case, we are practicing me-ligion. We are simply being me-ligious, okay? And so we're going to be talking about this for this next month, and we're going to be trying to make sure that we get our focus on the Lord. See, yes, God came to save you. God came to save you. Jesus came that you might have eternal life. It is about you, but a main part of what he's saving you from is you. Jesus came to save you from you because you are a very bad savior. You're very good at needing a Savior, but you're very bad at being a Savior. You were not created to be that. So we're going to learn to be Christ-centered, not self-centered during this series. And we're going to be focusing on this. And you're going to have opportunities as we continue throughout this month. You're going to have opportunities to get involved in things that, that, that will get your focus off of yourself. So let me give you really quickly. We're going to talk, obviously, about how to... 
not being religious. But before we do, I want to give you, if you're, if you're asking yourself, is this something I need to hear? Is, is this something that I deal with? I'm going to give you a couple of symptoms of being religious, okay? So here, here are some of the symptoms of religion that, that we're going to need to watch out for, that you can ask yourself, is this me? Here's the first one, is that you pray only for yourself. A religious person prays only for themselves. Now, again, just some balance. It doesn't mean that you never pray for yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't ask God for anything. But, but you know, Jesus actually gave us a pattern, a pattern in how to pray. And we know it as the Lord's Prayer, and it's found in Matthew 6. I have it up here on the screen so we can look at it together. Now, just so you know, this is the... The New King James Version of the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew. It's going to have a little bit of things different than the way you probably memorized it. The way that we memorized it uses trespasses. Uh, and that's the, the, the common book of prayer um, the Presbyterians and Anglicans and the Catholics use. has been filtered down and that's kind of the way we typically all say the Lord's Prayer. But this is the actual scripture and it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, it means holy, be your name. Your kingdom come. Hey, we talked about that last month. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Now, that you don't owe Jesus 20 bucks, right? Like he didn't lend you money for a soda, right? It's not talking about money. It's, it's talking about sins. Forgive us of our sins. Our, our, that's why the word trespasses is used in some other versions. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Do not lead us into temptation. Eh, iffy translation, trial is probably a better word here. But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, First of all, it's a really good model. I love when Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. And he says, our Father in heaven, you're holy. Look, when you are praying, always start out your prayers worshiping the Lord. I mean, you can come to God. You can ask him anything. I mean, he is a good God. He loves you. But, but, but I just I think Jesus started um, with this demonstration. He said, man, you know, worship, 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 worship. That's why we start off our services here with worship. It's the first thing we do is to set our sights on him, to focus our hearts on him, and, and remind ourselves that he is the reason that we're here, amen? But I want you, I don't know if you've ever thought of this or not, but I want you to see this, and we're going to change, I'm going to highlight some of the words. Look at this. Our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Nine times in the Lord's Prayer, there is a plural word. The Lord's Prayer is not about you. It's about us. It's about us. It's plural. In our prayer life, in the same way, prayer is not for me. It's for us. It's for we. It's for all of us. And so our prayer lives, yes, ask the Lord for whatever you need, but make sure that you're worshiping him, you're praising him first, and make sure that it's not just about you, that it's about us. It's about our needs. That's new for me, by the way. I didn't realize that until this week as I was studying. The Lord's prayer is plural. It's not just about us. So, we, so a symptom 
of being religious is that you pray only for yourself. We don't want to be like that. The second symptom here is that you get frustrated when God doesn't do what you want him to. (laughs) Anyone ever struggle with that before? You get frustrated when God doesn't do what you want him to. Uh, You can turn to Psalm 91. I'm going to read the, the very end of it. Now, Psalm 91 is a pretty famous passage of Scripture. The whole song is about God's protection. How many of you pray for God's protection? If you don't, you should. You should pray for God's protection. Absolutely. I mean, we should, because we, want, we don't want the enemy to, you know, to derail us and to get our lives off track uh, so we can accomplish what God has for us. So, so it's a psalm of protection where we pray to the Lord and we ask him to take care of us, and it's a promise of protection. At the end of the song here, the psalm, God answers the prayer, so to speak. And this is what he says. It's verses 14 through 16. He says, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble, and I will rescue and honor them. Verse 16, and I will reward them with a long life, and give them my salvation. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? It's a wonderful promise. It says, I will protect you. If you call on me, I will answer. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. I will reward you. But he doesn't say when. Does he? He doesn't say when. It's the when and it's the how that we struggle with sometimes. See, God says, make no mistake, be very, very sure, he will rescue you, he will save, he will come through. But the problem is, is we don't always know when. We don't always know how. And that's when we get frustrated. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to worship the Lord no matter what he does for us? Or does he have to do what we ask exactly in order to deserve our worship? And the answer is, obviously, he deserves our praise and our worship no matter what. So I want to encourage you that scripture says in a couple of times, it says in due time, in due time. The only thing that I've seen that we can actually speed up in God's kingdom is that we can hasten the day of the Lord. We can actually speed up when Jesus comes back. Did you know that? We can actually do that. Uh, it's in Second Peter chapter 3. We can actually speed up when Jesus comes back by how many people we get saved. So God says he's not coming back till the whole world has heard about Jesus. So what are you doing? What are you doing to hasten the day of the Lord? That's the one thing you have a little bit of control over. But, when, but when, when God promises he will heal you, God promises he will deliver you, God promises he will do these things, but he doesn't say when. And we have to make sure we're not being religious about the thing and we're not making it all about us and getting frustrated with God because we don't see it immediately or when we think we should. Hey, I believe every single time I pray whether it be for healing, for um, God to come through in a work situation, in a financial situation, I believe that it will be immediate because that's how I prefer. I'm kind of an immediate type of guy, okay? But I am learning and have learned to not get my panties in a wad every single time 
God doesn't do something immediately and in the way I want him to. Right? It's, it's, a, it's something that has to be learned. And it's, and it's getting, I don't wear panties. There was an expression. I, I, I know what you were thinking. <laughs> he, Pastor Jamie wears panties? <clears throat> no. So, but, but we want to protect our heart and we want to make sure that we know we want to make sure that we know that God, one of my favorite prayers, prayers to pray is, Lord, I trust that you are moving on my behalf behind the scenes. Even when I don't see it. Even when I feel like, you ever prayed and you felt like it just hit an imaginary bubble, boom, and bounced back down? Right? Hey, continue to believe. Put your faith out there. Faith is like a lasso. You rope in the promise and you pull it in. Okay? Through your faith. And so we don't give up, we don't get frustrated when God doesn't do things the way we want him to. Here's one, here's a symptom of religion, is if you struggle with confusion, chaos, and disorder in your life. If you struggle with confusion, chaos, and disorder, you may just be religious. It's, it's one of the symptoms it's one of the symptoms of those that are religious is struggling with confusion, chaos, and disorder. Y'all turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 16. If you want to be convicted, read the book of James. If you want to be left alone, don't read the book of James. <laughs> It's ridiculous how many instructions and corrective statements that there are in that book. It's hilarious, okay? So James chapter 3, verse 16. Yes, I am stalling because, yes, my stuff is not working. Who's got James chapter 3, verse 16? Who's got it? Cool, thank you. Perfect. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. If your life is filled with disorder, if your life is filled with confusion, is what the, King, the New King James says, and chaos, and it's just it's crumbling all around you, Right? If that's what's going on in your life, then you need to ask yourself, is it because I'm being religious? There is a spiritual reality. There's a tie to being selfish, being dealing with selfish ambition, and having chaos and confusion in your life. So I'm not saying it's always a guarantee. I'm just saying it's very much a possibility. If you're dealing with chaos in your life on a regular basis, it seems everything you do falls apart, everything you touches messes up, even though you are religious, you might be religious. It may be the selfish ambition in your heart that's causing all these things to not work for you. Does that make sense? Do y'all hear that? Sweet. All right. So how do we overcome religion? How do we overcome it? How do we beat this? Well, we overcome religion by becoming other-focused. By becoming other-focused. Now, this is difficult. 
This is really difficult. But it makes a lot of sense. You are one person. There's nobody here that's two people, is there? I just want to be inclusive. Okay, no. You are one person, right? Y'all looking at me like, what? You are one person. All right. I I just read this. I thought this was interesting. There are 7.4 billion people in the world. 7.4 billion people in the world. And when we hear a number like that, we just go, okay, 7.4, that's a lot. All right. If you were to stack up 7 billion coins, 7 billion coins, one for each person on the earth, that stack would reach over 7,000 miles high. 7,000 miles high. If you built your stack of coins in New York City and it fell over, coins would shower down in Tokyo. Wow. That's a lot of coins. And that's how many people are in the earth. And we tend to forget because we're so us-focused. We're so me-focused, right? We're so me-focused. And this is, I'm going to, can I tell you some stuff that I struggle with? Can can I be honest with you a little bit this morning? Like, I struggle not being uh, being other-focused sometimes. And it comes out of me when I'm in theme parks, like I was these past few days. Like, I don't know what happens. Something comes over me. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm like seeing like someone out of the corner of my eye. And we're both walking to the same place. I'm like, I'm beating that dude. I don't care what happens. I'm like pulling my kid. Get over, you know, get. I'm like, it's ridiculous. And I'm not the only one. Ethan and I were actually doing an experiment. We were, we were walking to it. We are trying to. We're, we're the, so we found out when we go to a theme park, we like to get up early, be there when it opens up. Go home around lunch, chill, relax, take a nap, whatever, and then go back out and be there all night, okay? That's how we like to do stuff. And so we're there at night, and so Ethan was like, Dad, watch this. Just walk in a straight line, and people are going to run into us. So I was like, okay. And so we just start walking, we don't move. And, like, people are, like, hitting us. Like, they're not getting out of our way. They're like, get out of my way. Of course, we were doing the same thing, but it was an experiment. <laughs> but, but you get the point. And, and so there was one, we were, we were waiting in, in one line, and uh, I was, I don't know, it's kind of like, uh, so when you're at the grocery store, do you always look for, like, the, the fastest line? Absolutely. And then, like, you're, like, trying to, all right, okay, she's got a bunch of stuff right there. All right, that person, like, they're using a check. That's going to take forever, right? You're, like, trying to size up the different lines. I am so bad at that. I'm, like, waiting, right? I'm waiting, and I'm, like, shooting into getting one, and, and, man, almost every single time, whichever one I choose is the longest. It's the longest. It's like God's like, nope, nope, not today, buddy. You know, <laughs> working on that patience, working on that patience. Um, and, and so uh, we were, there were a couple of lines you could enter into in this one line, and so I was darting around, and my poor family's trying to keep up with me because I just, something comes over me when I'm in a theme park. And, um, and so finally, <laughs> finally, we get in and stuff, and then the, the, the person goes, how many is in your party? And we go, five. She goes, okay, go on through. And then I heard her, the people behind me, how many is in your party? They're like, five. Like, okay, we need you to wait here. And I'm like, yeah, beat you. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. We made it. And Tiff is looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And she turns and she goes, yeah, kids, remember, we don't prefer others. Oh, ah. She's calling me out. This is an area where I struggle, but I've also learned that we will never be happy 
until we're living for something beyond ourselves. We'll never be happy. We'll never be happy. You know, if I were to ask you the question, are you happy this morning? Are you happy? Are you happy? I can guarantee you that there is a link between how happy you are and how much you serve others. The more you serve, the happier you are. And, and this, has been, this has been echoed in secular research. When they've done studies on happiness, people that are the happiest are those that give the most. Give the most of their time. Give the most of their treasure. Give the most of their talent. Give the most of who they are. They are the happiest. And I encourage you, if you're not happy this morning, find someone to bless. Before you leave, see if there's someone that you can take to lunch. This morning. You mean no? Yeah. (laughs) Sure, why not? Find some way to honor someone else. It gets your eyes off of yourself and you become happier. It's how you're wired. I know it's not what everyone else says. I know it's not what the world says. The whole marketing idea is you deserve this product. (laughs) That's a lie. They think they deserve your money. So they're trying to get you to convince you that you deserve that product. So you'll pay them. If they really thought you deserved the product, they'd give it to you for free. Right? Yeah. So no, they don't think you deserve the product. They think they deserve your money. Don't, don't buy that lie. Look, the hap, you will be more happy the more you serve. So we want to become other-focused. Here's how you become other-focused. First of all, you embrace hum- humility. You embrace humility. Now let me define what humility is because a lot of people have a, a, a serious misunderstanding of this. Humility is accurately determining the source of all things good. Humility is accurately determining the source of all things good. And by the way, it's not you. (laughs) It's not you. It's God. When someone is humble, they're operating under the understanding that God is the source of all things good. C.S. Lewis said this. It's one of my favorite quotes from him. It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not downing yourself. You don't have to degrade yourself to be humble. Well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus. Jesus doesn't say you're a sinner anymore. He's taking your sin away from you. Why would you call yourself something he doesn't say that you are? You're not a sinner. Don't say that. Please don't say I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Don't say, I know you're trying to be humble, but that's not humility. That's false humility, which is still fixated on yourself. (laughs) False humility is when you're trying to be humble and you don't do it right and you're still giving attention to yourself. Well, I'm just nobody, brother. Well, who are you to say something opposite of what God says? God says that you are somebody. God says that you are a child of the king, right? So don't disagree with God. It doesn't make you arrogant uh, to say that you're a joint heir with Jesus. It just means you know scripture, (laughs) right? So humility is not denying the good things about you. It's just admitting that, that you, you have it, that you have it because of someone else, something beyond you, that it's the Lord, that he's the source of all things good. So that's what humility is. First Peter 5, 6 says this, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he may, that he may exalt you in due time. There's that in due time. He didn't say when, did he? 
in due time, when it's his time, when he thinks it's right, because he knows what's best. He will exalt you, okay? But interestingly, this depends on you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So the exalting depends on you, how much you humble yourself. Isn't that what it said? You humble yourself that he may. He can't unless you do, or he won't unless you do. Does that make sense? So the more you humble yourself, the more you will be exalted in his due time. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you need grace in your life? Yeah, grace is the empowerment to do what God has called you to do. We all need grace. Some of you are called to be teachers and nurses. Some of you are called uh, to do different types of ministry alongside uh, your jobs. Whatever it is, you need grace to do it. You can't do it on your own. So it says, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The more you'll learn to be humble, again, to, 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 not to down yourself, but to accurately determine the source of all things good. The more you do that, the more you do that the more grace you get. And it says he resists the proud. That's not a good place to be where God's resisting you. That's not what we want is to be resisted by the Lord, is it? No, that's not good at all. Matthew twenty three twelve says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Well, that is the opposite of what the world teaches, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? It's the total opposite. It's amazing. It's amazing to me that our world says one thing and the kingdom of God says another thing. It's so easy to go with what the world says. But we have to remember that he is the one who exalts us. Let me just mention, have y'all heard the word meekness? To be meek? It's a very misunderstood word and it's, it's Jesus was very meek. Okay, It doesn't mean weak. It doesn't mean that Jesus was a wuss, all right? It means meekness is, is simply this. It's power under restraint. That's what meekness is. Power under restraint. It's being gentle on purpose. That's what meekness is. It's saying, I could do this, but I won't do this for the sake of someone else. I could do this, but I won't. Do this for the sake of someone else. That's what meekness is, and that's humility. That's humility. It's not relying on your own abilities. Oh, I could, I could like make this happen, man. I could do this and exalt myself and get this thing going. Yeah, I could do it. Okay? It's great. But you won't be empowered by God. You won't have his grace. And you'll only get earthly, temporary, worldly results. Let's do things his way, right? Let's be meek. Let's allow him to move in our lives and in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Here's the last way that we become other-focused. By embracing Jesus' example of selflessness. By embracing Jesus' example of selflessness. I'm, I'm going to read to you Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. This is the New Living Translation. If you don't have this, I encourage you just to listen. It's, it's kind of a long passage, but here, here it is. This is amazing. It's an amazing passage. It says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. We talked about that. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Whoa. Lord, I was already struggling thinking that people were equal. (laughs) But better? That's the kingdom way. He goes on. 
Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Because Jesus is equal. Jesus is God. Equality with the Father. But he purposefully left that, right? Instead, verse 7, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That word slave means servant. It means servant. He came to serve. There's another part where it says the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, in light of what Jesus did, in light of Jesus' attitude, God, uh, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. There we go. We see that same pattern. Humble yourself, God exalts you. Jesus humbled himself. What did God do? Exalted him. That, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and, every, and under the earth, and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Man, we have to embrace Jesus' selflessness. He came to serve. God had every single right. Jesus had every single right to come to the earth and be like, I made you kick down the doors. I made you. You're screwing this up. You stink. <laughs> you need to worship me. He had every right to do that. But he didn't. He didn't. He came and he said, let me show you. Let me show you how to be advanced in the kingdom. I'm going to serve. I'm going to lay down my rights. I'm going to be meek. I could do this, but I'm not going to for the sake of others. He came to abolish religion. He came to show us the way to live that will result in the most happiness for us. And it's not about accumulating a bunch of shiny things to store in your house until you die. That's not what it's about. It's not what this life is about. It's not about being seen and heard and being well, even well respected. Look, a lot of the people in Scripture, people were trying to kill them. It's not about that. It's about pouring out your life. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He said, I've poured out my life as a drink offering to the Lord. I poured it out. I poured it out. Look, Jesus was a servant, and so should we be. We have to practice his example of selflessness. So my question to you guys is, are you religious? Is your faith all about you? Let's stand for prayer.